hello and welcome to season two and episode 16 of In the Growth Space. It's David and I really appreciate you joining me here today. You know, I always say that our goal here with the podcast is really to help you, our listeners, to to move forward on your growth path and really grow in whatever area of life you're focused on by sharing conversations with great people who've been on a journey themselves, a growth journey of themselves. And sometimes we talk with business leaders, sometimes we talk with coaches, sometimes we we talk with emerging leaders. And you're going to hear a great story of growth today. But before we get started, I want to just take a little bit of time here just to say that if you're a leader and you want to lead well in 2023, I want to encourage you to join me at the Inner Circle Summit. It's on December the 13th, and this is the one time every year that we invite the the public to, to join myself and our Inner Circle members really to celebrate the year and to get ready for the next one. And I know that this is going to be a fantastic day. We have some amazing facilitators that are coming. It is a workshop, so if you don't want to work, if you're just used to sitting back, taking notes, and never never doing anything with it, this is not for you. <laughs> so uh, be ready to, to engage, be ready to maybe even get outside of your comfort zone. But as of this recording, and if you're listening to this before December 12th, you still have time to register. So uh, go to www.davidmclennan.com forward slash inner circle summit 2022. And again, we'll put that link in the show notes, Uh, but that will get your seat. You'll get a chance to get registered. And we have had some teams register already uh, with leaders from uh, the UK and also from the North America. Uh, One of our facilitators is coming from Canada. And it's going to be a great growth environment and and a great uh, opportunity to, to network with some other amazing leaders as well. Today, our guest is Eric Konovalov. And Eric is a former communist, a refugee, um, whose who's, who's family fled the Soviet Union in the early 90s. And although they left physically, Eric grew up seeing how his parents' communist mindset and their belief systems were behind all their decision-making, which really led to struggle and a lack of freedom to do what they dreamt of doing. And Eric wanted something better for his life, and he set out to achieve it. So after spending eight challenging years with the United States Marines, Eric excelled in the field of sales and sales leadership. Now, this is a story that you're going to want to really just sit back and and listen into and maybe even take some notes. There are some great takeaways from this conversation. You really are going to love Eric. So let's get into that episode now. Hey, Eric, welcome to the podcast. Welcome to In the Growth Space, man. I'm grateful to have you here today. Hey, thanks for having me, David. What an honor. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I've been looking forward to this and uh, looking forward to having this conversation. Uh, I know ever since you and I met uh, in person, at, you know, down in Florida, gosh, I think it's maybe been six months ago. I think it was back in January. Um, I, I knew I wanted to have you on this podcast, and so uh, it's, it's 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 really cool to have you here. Let's let's start by telling everybody a little bit about your story. I mean, it's it's kind of cool because um, you know your family um, did not, I mean, did not you know grow up here. I mean, you weren't born here; you grew up here, but your family didn't. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, well, we moved here. I was ten years old when we came here, so it was, okay. So you know, yeah, went to fourth grade and. Um, I am a former communist. <laughs> oh man! As, much as, as you know, as transformed as into is, the capitalist, right? Yeah, you know. And listen, they asked. So I, I was born in the former Soviet Union in yeah. 1980, and they they technically ask you if you want to join the Communist Party. Oh wow! And if you say no, you're going to end up in Siberia. So pretty much everybody, <laughs> everybody wow. joins yeah. the Communist Party. <laughs> So in school, you know, you go to first grade and you get a little pen and, you know, they make sure that they indoctrinate you at a very young age. And so a civil war kind of started to break out where I was between Azerbaijan and Armenia. And I think my family saw the chance. I think Ronald Reagan was allowing people to, you know, 
coming to the United States. And I don't know exactly what was happening back then, but we got out as refugees and ended up in yeah. Baltimore, Maryland back in 1990. So wow. I won a lottery ticket with that, you know, but yeah, there man. was six of us. It was me, my mom, my sister, stepdad, and two stepsisters. And mm-hmm. we came here with 400 bucks to our name. Um, the guards at the airport when we were leaving ransacked everything and took whatever they wanted. And I remember it was like, you know, either you leave with this stuff. I mean, I'm sorry, either you stay with this stuff or you leave without it. Which one do you want? Yeah. And so you're, yeah. So my parents got out of there. It was, um, as a kid, you kind of don't realize how much of an impact and how stressful that is leaving a country with four kids. That's crazy. Not speaking a language, not having a profession, not having any money. And we came here, took full advantage of every social service there was for refugees. Mm-hmm. Um, six people in two-bedroom apartment. David, I remember we had this. <laughs> Our wow. room had four twin beds from oh, literally from goodness. the wall to the door. Like the door didn't close. It was just, just four up. beds. Yeah. And when you walked into the room, you hit a bed. And <laughs> oh, me, so I had two, my sister and step, one stepsister's older and one younger, um, I would hop over all of them because I had the window bed and uh, I was an early riser. So I would hop over them and hop out and run into the living room. And it was the best life ever. You know, it's like you don't realize what you don't know. But um, yeah, yeah, interesting, interesting, humble beginnings when we first got here. What a story, man. And and when you came, obviously, you, you didn't speak English, right? I mean, no. So so you had to learn English at the age of 10. Yeah. At the age wow. of 10. Wow. Yeah. That's... And and lucky for us, we you know, we're in America because they had ESOL, which is uh, English as a second language in school. Right. Teachers were right. great. Um, there were so hmm. many programs that help you kind of get up. But I learned mainly, you know, my my mentor in English was Bugs Bunny. <laughs> love it <laughs> i remember i was greeting people saying uh what's up doc <laughs> what's up doc <laughs> that's all folks yeah <laughs> oh my gosh that's hilarious <laughs> oh man well how did how did that then inform you know kind of the your i mean that's a formative place to to make such a drastic change 10 years old i mean i can remember back when i was 10 years old and you know any kind of a change um, at that point in your life is, is a big one. So how did that, you know, kind of shape you and mold you as a, as a teenager? I don't know if that necessarily shaped me or molded me, but what it did do, you know, immigrant parents had to find a way to, to provide. So my oldest stepsister, I remember she was 15 or 16. When we got here, she got a job at McDonald's. My stepfather went to work at some factory Mm -hmm. and had a heart attack and, um, he couldn't do that job anymore. My mom ended up working at a gas station and some nail salon, like literally from they would leave, you know, 6 30, 7 a.m. I wouldn't see my mom till 11 p.m. Sometimes she would go to work, go to the hospital, come home like. So, you know, unfortunately, where there's no supervision, you kind of run the streets, get into, you know, stupid things as a teenager. Sure. That led to me being expelled from school three different times, mm-hmm. um, been in alternative schools had a home teacher one year that was horrendous uh, court systems. I mean, it wasn't, it was not going in the right direction for me as a teenager. And then in, um, you know, it's funny. My mom was just here. So we moved to Florida uh, almost a year and a half ago. And my mom was visiting just last weekend and she was talking to my wife, Julia, and she's like, uh, you know, the kids must take it after Eric in school because he used to get such good grades and Julia, she's like, why did your mom think you were getting good grades? And I remember my buddies and I would, I I mean, I took full advantage of the fact that I had an ignorant mom, ignorant to the system. She didn't know. She didn't go to school here. She didn't understand. So we would literally, if I got a report card back then, there was no emails. There were no letters sent home. I would get, and when the school did send a letter home, my mom didn't get it. We knew her signature. We would sign, you know, like, it was terrible, but oh I remember we would go to Kinko's with our report cards and literally take a report card and make like seven copies of it. If one of our friends had an A or a B, we made a bunch of those and just cut out that A or B, glued it onto the E's and F's 
Oh my and gosh. made a copy and that's what I would bring home. And I didn't realize I'm 41 years old now. I did not. I never realized that my mom still didn't know. Didn't know that, that. all those report cards were forged. <laughs> Shatter her world now, right? Yeah. Oh my no, I, I'm sure she'd laugh at it. I just let it go. But uh, yeah. I'm sure she would laugh at it if she knew now. Anyway, <laughs> um, so I decided after high school, I would just join the Marine Corps. You know, um, yeah, yeah. I wanted to enlist. There was a reason I, I picked the Marines. Um, it was, was a shallow reason? reason, but well, uh, so, you know, I was 17 years old. Nobody in my family has ever served. And I went into the recruiter's office and it was like I was going for Army or Navy. I didn't even Air Force, you know, didn't even come into my mind. Yeah. And I, I didn't even know Marine Corps existed, knew nothing oh, about okay. it. Okay. So the way the recruiting office was set up, you walk into this kind of mm-hmm. office building and inside every branch had an office for a recruiter. So I went into the army recruiter's office and that guy looked like, like Elmer Fudd, like oh, short. No. Back to Bugs Bunny again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I do a lot of cartoon references. I love it. <laughs> this guy was short, chubby. He had a mustache, glasses, like his shirt was half untucked. Like oh, man. I was 17 years old and I looked at him. I'm like, that is not what I want. Like, this yeah. is how I'm judging where I'm going to, you know, sure. spend my military career. Uh, Navy guy was his, wasn't there. He was out to lunch. The Air Force guy was his twin brother. And I'm leaving out the door kind of deflated a little bit. So I'm walking out and I hear out of the corner office somewhere, like literally didn't even see that office. Said, what are you two chicken shit to come in here? Oh, no. Like, you know, 17 years old. I'm a tough guy. I walk in and here's another cartoon reference for you. There you have Johnny Bravo sitting there, right? (laughs) I love it. Yeah. His muscles are popping out of his shirt. He's got this beautiful hair. There's like. I had a man crush right away. Yeah, exactly. And uh, <laughs> behind him, he's got pictures of him and his buddies, no shirts on, on a beach, like on a tank. It was the, oh, the <laughs> craziest thing, right? But for yeah. a 17-year-old, I'm like, that's what I want to do. That's that's so, me, yeah. So oh, that man. was Saturday morning. That Monday, he came to my school in his uniform. Oh, Every man. girl I had a crush on didn't stop talking about this guy for like two weeks straight. That's how I made the decision to go into the Marine. <laughs> That's, it wasn't valor. It wasn't. It was. I didn't know what I was, it was. I, I didn't even no, know no, Marines no. were considered, you know, out of the services, very prestigious and few. And proud. I didn't know. I just liked the blues yeah. and it was cool. And yeah, this yeah. was 1997, maybe 1998. Uh, so the only thing was going on was maybe Kosovo. We weren't really involved in any any combat back then. Sure. And uh, I had my mom sign for me. So mm-hmm. he came over to our house. She signed when I was 17. And as soon as I graduated high school, I, I went to Paris Island. Yeah. 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 It's so funny because, I mean, it sounds, well, not exactly, but I mean, it's really similar to um, my my son because he was 17. And, and I knew, like, I, there was something in me. I had to sign for him at 17. And there was something in me that was like, I don't want to do this. But yet I know that if I don't do this, He's going to do it as soon as he turns 18 and he's out, you know? And so I'm like, look, I'm, I'm, I'm just delaying the inevitable, but, um, and, and, and he, I mean, you know, he just, I'm not exactly sure. I, to this day, I don't even know. Well, yes, I do. I, I, I know, I, I know why he joined it, it, You know, it, it's interesting because it, in everybody's journey, it's always interesting to hear kind of the why behind bike behind they join i wish i had a better why <laughs> yeah no no it's great i mean well and, and you know it's interesting so i mean that had to be a growing experience for you is is you know going from you know kind of that street smart kid to you know the marine corps and and you know the discipline and all of that kind of stuff so i'm kind of curious like what was the biggest transition or the takeaway i mean boot camp is is tough i mean it's marine corps i mean you, you went to the toughest boot camp well, I think, you know, I did have street smarts. I'll, I'll tell you that, not, not to brag about myself, but I quickly realized that everything the drill instructors did mm-hmm. was just a game to keep you under pressure. Uh, so I would see guys get super frustrated because no matter how well you made your rack, which is your bed, yeah, it, they could come up and they will find something. No matter how great you took all the little strings off your uniform or polished your boots. We used to polish the boots before they went to like yeah. the Timberland style that you didn't polish. Yeah. They'd find a mistake 
no matter how fast you ran, it wasn't fast enough. And the reason for that was to keep you under stress. How do you perform under stress? Because Mm -hmm. you get out in combat, you know, you can get stressed out about your bed not being made or somebody (laughs) yelling at you (laughs) and you won't get hurt. But you, you know, we don't perform well under stress. It's hard to, Mm -hmm. you know, what happens under stress? Blood flow goes away from your, you know, the thinking part of your brain goes into your extremities so you can fight or flight, right? Yeah, right. And so those people who can elevate, um, their performance at a stress level and stay calm are the mm-hmm. ones that are going to perform the best. And what Marines did, I think, is help me realize that stuff isn't that important <laughs> most yeah. of the time that we stress over. <laughs> right. right. I'm still going to be alive. Nobody's shooting at me like I'm a... Yeah, I get to come home to my family. Like life is good. <laughs> life is good. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Wow. That's, that's, yeah. Well, I mean, that, that's an amazing um, transition or tra- tra- transformation in and of itself, because I mean, as a kid, I mean, learning how to perform under pressure, I can imagine that, you know, just taking that lesson alone, going into the, you know, the business world, because I know you were in the Marine Corps for what, eight years, I think you you, you, you were eight in there years, for eight yeah. years. And then, you know, then you transitioned out. And, you know, I mean, and anything compared to that has got to be, you know, kind of easy <laughs> in, in, in some regards, right? Yeah, yeah, it's, um, you know, as a kid performing under pressure, I think all of us have a different boiling, t- boiling point, right? Sure. And sure. for some, it's very, very low. Mm-hmm. And I think we got to help raise that up because they're not going to be able to survive in a stressful environment. Mm-hmm. Um, for when I was getting out of the Marine Corps, I got into sales. I was selling copiers in Baltimore. Never been in sales my whole life. Okay. The guy that hired me did a training with me like for four days inside of a like a little office. And then on day four, he's like, all right, go cold call. And I remember I looked at him. I'm like, what is cold? What do you mean cold is, call? Like, what is what that? What does that mean? Oh, man. He's like, well, you go out and um you know you knock on doors and you see you know see who needs copiers and tell them that you can help them save some money and show them you got a good product blah 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 <laughs> at this point i'm 26 or 27 years old it was right before my 27th birthday and i don't use copiers like i don't you know since yeah since high school i joined the marines i don't know exactly who needs copiers at this mm, point. Yeah, sure. But I remember, I, you know, I didn't want to feel stupid. I just went through like a four day training about what a copier is and what it does, <laughs> but not how people use it or why they need one in their office. Right. <laughs> Love it. So I didn't, I had zero business sense at that point. So I remember driving and I'm like, who uses copiers? Like, why would anybody need a copier? And then I see like a minute man press and I'm like, these guys use it says copies in the window. They got to use copiers. So I walk in there. Uh, Here I am, this, this new kid selling copy machines. I don't know a first thing about a copy machine. And I'm talking to a guy who's been in the business probably 30 years. Oh, and man. he knows he fixes his own copy machines. Right. Oh god. And the brand I was selling is not good for heavy volume printing. It's good for a little office. So I yeah. come into him and now, you know, I've conditioned over the last three days that this is the best copier. This is the best brand we're selling sharp. This is the best. This is so I walk in. I'm like, you're using Xerox. Why this? I got the best product here. This. And he starts asking me these questions. <laughs> I realized I have no idea what he's you talking didn't know about. What you're talking. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> That's pretty embarrassing. I got my ass handed to me there. I love it. Um, uh, what yeah, drew but you I to sales in the first back. place? What, 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 what drew you to sales? I mean, like, oh, how did you even? Question. Yeah, I mean, how did you even think about that? <laughs> I didn't. So I was getting out of the Marines. I was very close with my commanding officer. I was like the operations chief. And we were a very small unit in North mm-hmm. Carolina. And one day I went to him, I'm like, sir, uh, by the way, I would have, I would have stayed till retirement. Like I wanted, mm-hmm. I thought I'd retire after 20 years and sure. have a pension and everything would be fine. Mm-hmm. My girlfriend at the time, wife now mm-hmm. of, you know, 15 plus years told me back then, she's like, listen, this isn't what I signed up for. I love you, but I can't handle you being gone all the time. And that's not the life I want. Yeah. So we were just dating and I got out and, and 
it took me a few weeks to really think through it and make a decision. That's probably the first thing I've actually thought into and made a logical and emotional decision at the same time. Um, and so I still believe I made the right decision. But anyway, so it's not that I really wanted to get out. I went to my commanding officer. I said, hey, sir, his name was Flip. We called him Joker. <laughs> I'm like, you know, I've been here since high school. What the hell do I do when I get out? Yeah. And he's like, you know, with all the bullshit you've sold me through the years, you should get into sales. <laughs> like, okay. like, I don't know what sales is, but I'll do it. And a part of what I did in the Marine Corps, we, we did Toys for Tots. Yeah. And yeah. I didn't realize that that was selling, right? Going into okay. businesses, asking for donations, asking to put a box in there, asking to dress up a Santa and greet their people and yeah. have, you know, make some deals that like if you bring two toys in to Golden Corral, then you get to eat for free. You know, like yeah. all these things, we would go out and negotiate and meet people and cold call essentially. Yeah. It's easy to do when you're doing it for children as a Marine, sure. right? I don't have anything right. to gain or lose. I don't make a dollar out of these toys. Like it didn't matter. <laughs> um, so I just enjoyed it and turned out I was pretty good at it. We serviced 26 counties in mm -hmm. North Carolina, some of the poorest places I've ever seen in the United States. Like you can't even imagine how poor people live in some of the mountains in North Carolina. And we'd show up with bus fulls and five ton truck full of, of toys to churches, you know, like it was just yeah, really sure. gratifying experience. That's cool. Um, so that's what he said. He's like, hey, with all the bullshit you sold me through the years, get into sales. So I yeah. I filled out uh, a resume, put it up on monster.com, and every freaking Aflac agent called me. Oh man, <laughs> like, yes, of course. <laughs> you know, and I could not I could not back then imagine commission only. It just yeah. wasn't even in my awareness that somebody could work without a guarantee pay and you know. Yeah. And that scared me because coming from the military, whether you work, don't work, you're sick, not sick, on the 1st and the 15th, you're getting a paycheck. You got a your health care yeah. is covered. Your food is covered. Your lodging is covered. You got nothing to worry about if you can, like, not spend everything they give you, right? That's all right. you got. It's <laughs> dummy proof, really. And I think the military... You know, I'd hate to blame the military. I just think I didn't show up for the classes that they invited me to for financial literacy and all that. But... Yeah. Um, they, they keep you dependent, right? I mean, you really mm -hmm. get comfortable in the military. And when you come out and that paycheck's not guaranteed on the 1st or 15th, it's a scary thought. So I passed up on Aflac. Mm -hmm. Not sure if that was the right thing to do. But back then, not including all the benefits, I was probably taking home 25 grand a year as a sergeant or a staff, just newly promoted staff sergeant. And um so when these guys offered me 40 grand to come and sell copiers plus commission, you were like, I, did, I remember four or five months into it, I got a commission check. It was like 7,500 bucks. I've never seen that in one paycheck. One paycheck. <laughs> yeah. So this yeah. is incredible. I never want to make any less money than this. Yeah. Right. Just, you know, that kind of opened up my eyes. Oh man. That's, that's amazing. Well, and, and, that transition then from um, from that routine paycheck to starting your own business that had to be another kind of a jump because you, you you know you have a you have your own business today I, you know to talk a little bit about that yeah I you know it, it came very easy to me David and I'll tell you Did why it, I'm just okay. I'm just blessed and lucky it's almost I mean it's kind of like I cheated which I did so. <laughs> I went to, um, after that organization, I got into medical device sales for a company called Striker. I was actually in an OR, uh, seeing people get nails and screws put into their bodies and guiding doctors on how to do that. I hated every second of it. Mm. And then uh, Xerox called me up and they're like, hey, you know, we, we know you're not in the industry anymore. We know who you are. Can you come in for an interview? So I went interviewed with them. They offered me a job. Um, and I took it within two mm. months. I was a manager at Xerox that I oh, came nice. in as a sales rep, but like within two months I got promoted to managing wow. and, uh, I sucked. Like I really sucked as a manager, but somehow mm. we stumbled our way. Uh, I took a, took over a team of like two. We got to a team of about 10 grew it. Like everything was going well. And then I got recruited by another company to be their director of sales. Okay. So I get there. 
it's a smaller company and everyone who's there has been there for like 16 years. And I say, hey, why don't we do this? And they go to the president's office because they're all church buddies. They go, you know, yeah, they sure. go to the president's office and they're like, why did we need this guy here? <laughs> We're doing fine without him. We don't need him. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. That was some stressful stuff. Nobody wanted to take me on appointments. No, like they avoided me like the plague. They didn't want to tell oh, me what man. was going on. It was the worst. And that's how I got involved with John Maxwell. I, mm. I remember saying, you know. It can't be all of them. It's got to be me. What am I doing wrong here? I'm not connecting. Okay. And coming from military, coming from Xerox, which is very regimented. Sure. Like Xerox has zero problems with firing their, their sales team, salespeople. You don't mm -hmm. perform, you're out. Mm -hmm. So it's almost, you know, you're leading by fear in that environment. Right. If you want to keep your job, perform. If you don't want to, if you're not performing, you're out. Yeah. Here, it was more like family oriented. They had a guy that probably didn't sell anything for like seven months and he's oh. still there. And I'm wondering why in the hell is he here? Yeah. Right. And they're just buddy, but, Oh, well, you know, he's a really nice guy. He has a family. We really like him. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Um, I'm fine. Yeah. You know, it's not my money, but, but anyway, so <laughs> I decided I'm an early riser. I go to the gym pretty early. So my treadmill became a classroom. I would put on leadership videos and I started hearing John Maxwell kept popping up. Mm -hmm. Well, somebody must have told him because there was this John Maxwell team. They started bombarding <laughs> me with ads and calling right. me. And right. um, I signed up to go become a better leader for this company. Mm. Little did I know they help you. You know, a guy by the name of Paul Martinelli, who was genius enough to start the John Maxwell team. Yeah. Um, made it a business in a box. Like, how do you start your own leadership training, coaching company? And Paul did such an amazing job with that organization that it was, it was almost stupid if you didn't do it. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to put it to the test through something that was called mastermind group. So Paul's, Paul's whole business strategy was, hey, reach out to some business owners, tell them you're going to come in, do a lunch and learn or train their team for free just to show them what you got. And after that, yeah. they'll pay you. So what I did while I was still working at this company, I just cold called 10 people, 10 business owners. And uh, I asked one of them if we can use his conference room. He said, yes. And we met for 10 weeks on a Wednesday night from like seven till 9 PM. And we did that on the 21 irrefutable laws of leadership. Yeah. So I facilitated it. And what, what the result was, is everybody's kind of organization grew they all improved yeah. in one way or another and after the 10 weeks four of them said how do i get you to come to my company and do this and what do you charge yeah. and that's how the company was born wow. well six months later i go to my president at my company and at this time i think we grew it from like four million to 12 million a year wow I wow. let go of the guy that wasn't selling. We brought in two more people. Same, everybody else was the same. And we just exploded. Wow. Um, and I went to him. I said, listen, I love you. I love the organization, but I found a new passion. I want to go do this thing where I'm coaching, training. And um, I'll give you six months if you want. I'll train up my new you know, replacement. Mm -hmm. And we, we talked from like 5.30 p.m. to like 9 p.m. that night. And he said, you know, can you um, can you just give me one more day before you make this decision final? Like, like, let me let me think about it. Come back with something for you. I'm like, sure. He came back the next day and he had a little sticky pad and he just wrote on it a little number. And he said, if you stay, I'm going to increase your salary by X amount, which is substantial increase. Yeah. And I'm going to give you this is your new commission rate. And as long as our numbers don't suffer you can go do whatever you want with your business. Hmm. I mean, it was not, like, I looked at him and I was dumbfounded. I said, why would you do that? Yeah. He told me, he said, I'll tell you one day. That's all he said. I'll one day I'll tell you. Yeah. He said, done. You got a deal. Yeah. And I stayed with him for years while I grew the goal guide. So I wish I could wow. tell you, yeah, I burned my ships and I did yeah, this. Right. You know, well, you know, I didn't great... do any of that, but what I did do is gave it, Everything I had to help him, I became valuable enough to where mm -hmm. somebody looked at me and said, I don't want to lose this guy. I'm going to help support his dream. Yeah. And without Vince, I couldn't have done it. Like, yeah. I, you know, there were there were months 
I didn't sell anything in the goal guide, you know, it's yeah, like, yeah, sure. Maybe, maybe because I didn't focus on it a hundred percent, you could say that maybe because I had one foot in one foot out, but we grew, I grew enough to where by the time I left, I'm, I'm good, you know? Yeah, sure. Sure. Well, you know, I, I think for, for those of you who are listening, you know, I think this is a great example of how to help your team and your people grow and how to keep them around so that um, you can, you know, you can continue to grow your own business, but then also help them grow into their passions as well. I mean, I know one of the things that you say is that, you know, the most sustainable way to grow your company is to grow your people. And I, I mean, we share that belief hundred percent. And, and I, and I think that in today's environment um, with the quote unquote, great resignation, I mean, I think that leaders have forgotten what it means to help their people grow in some respects, because I think that if, you know, everybody, every company had a Vince, then um, there wouldn't be a lot of people leaving, leaving the companies that they're at. Right. You know, yeah, I would, I would totally agree because as crazy as his philosophies are, he's got those same people that were there 16 years when I got there, they're still there. Yeah. <laughs> and the only reason I left is I moved to Florida and I still I was still working for him from Florida. Like we're wow, a local yeah. local DC company. Like and yeah. I was still here for like over a year uh, until the supply chain got so bad that the team had like over a couple million dollars in signed agreements that we couldn't deliver and we don't get paid until we deliver. So Vince, you know, I was probably one of the higher paid guys and he called he called me up and he's like, "Hey, we got to let you go." And you could tell, like, he's, like, almost crying. Yeah, pained, yeah. And uh, I wrote him probably the nicest email I think anybody has ever written to anybody after they've been <laughs> fired from a job <laughs> that was full of just love and gratitude and how much he meant yeah. to me and how much, like, I wouldn't be who I am without him and how much he supported me and helped me. But let me rewind, like, three years before the, the before our split. Mm -hmm. uh, I found out I had a health scare and I found they found like a birth defect in my heart oh, wow. and I had to have open heart surgery mm. and the doctor's really scared. You know, I'm a healthy guy. I probably ran five miles the yeah. day I found out the day before I found out I had this. <laughs> I went oh, running. Yeah. So um, I was oh. a healthy dude, but in, you know, when you're born in former Soviet union they don't check you the way they check you here. So it was one of those sure. things. And there was actually three defects in my heart. Hmm. And now the doctors are like, we got to get this fixed now because your hmm. heart's way enlarged. It's overworked. And we don't, I, you know, this was when I found out it was like March timeframe. And I told the doctor, I was like, all right, cool. So I've lived with this for, you know, 37 years now. Why don't we wait till summertime's over? I got all these plans for summer and we'll do it in <laughs> September. He's like, I'm going on vacation for one week. When I come back, we're doing it. <laughs> you oh, don't man. have a summer. You don't have a summer. Yeah. So I'm like, uh, so that kind of put things in perspective. And I was scared. Yeah, I didn't sure. know if I was going to come out of it. I didn't know what was going to happen. And um, I remember I was sitting down with Vince, another one of those late night conversations. And I asked him, I said, you, I got to know, man, be, you know, in case I don't make it out of this thing. <laughs> why did you do why it you do that yeah yeah why yeah. did you freaking make me that offer nobody else would ever do something like that mm -hmm. and he said you know it's the old zig ziglar quote when you help enough other people achieve what they want mm -hmm. you'll achieve everything that you want yeah that's beautiful he's like i saw how bad you wanted it and i wanted to help that's great. and i'm like i'll never forget that i will never ever forget mm -hmm. that vince calls he's got my full attention like yeah, we still have a good, we'll, we'll text each other. We have a pretty good relationship. I'm so grateful for him. I'm so grateful for DCA. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's just, awesome. It was amazing. That's, that's awesome. I mean, it, yeah, truly everybody needs to have events in their life. I, I you know, in, in a lot of ways, our stories are similar um, because when I left the company that, that I was with um, to start my company, I, you know, my Vince was, his, his name was Jim and um, Jim was, you know, an amazing leader and he allowed me to do, you know, do, do the transition. He, in very similar, he, he basically gave me six months. He said, Hey, you know, let's, you know, let's, let's have, uh, you know, Bravo wellness be your first client. And uh, I said, 
Cool. That's great. And it gave me kind of the, the, the ramp that I needed to be able to, um, you know, start the business and, and still be able to um, help them as well. So yeah, that's, that's great. So I, I, I know that you're also an author, Eric, and you've got your B2B sales book um, in the background. I love it. Um, what, uh, what, what led you to, to, to write a book and actually, you know, become an author? It was one of those ideas that would constantly pop into my mind for years. Yeah. You should write a book. You should write a book. Because I really yeah. did develop a pretty good sales strategy that worked. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. we, I mean, it worked. So there was little things that I saw missing mm -hmm. in the sales process. Like reps are given proposals after the first meeting. That's nonsense. Yeah. No one's validating the proposal after they submit it. Like you're not even asking the client how they feel about your idea that you want to propose. You just uh -huh. kind of, and then the clients disappear and you're sitting there scratching your head. People would show up to a meeting. I can't tell you how many sales reps would come back to me after a first meeting. We would sit down for a one-on-one -on -one and I'd say, hey, how'd it go with that client? Mm -hmm. Awesome. Of course. They loved yeah. me. Yeah. They loved me. We talked for like two hours. They freaking loved me. <laughs> two weeks later, what happened with that client? I don't know. They won't call me back. He's a jerk. He's an asshole. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Right? It's like, well, you're missing something. It's not, yeah. you're missing yeah. something. This is happening way too often. Them loving you is not, you know, but I don't think they're loving you. Yeah, right. <laughs> Figure this out. Yeah. And then I would see people show up to work and it's like they got their mochaccino, frappuccino, whatever the hell it is. They're, they're yeah. walking really slowly. They sit down. The first 35 minutes is all about last night and how they went out and how tired they are and how oh, one man. guy hooked up with some. And I'm like, this is not, there's, there's a better way. There's a better way. Yeah, sure. And so <laughs> I took everything I learned at Xerox, everything I learned at the first company, everything I learned with Vince. Um, mm. And throughout these years, I hired a coach. I set up a morning routine. So the first three chapters is literally about my morning routine, how to set yourself up mentally for sales. Mm -hmm. Love that. The next section is all about that buyer's journey. So anything from cold calling, prospecting, sending out email, it's got some scripts in it to mm -hmm. what, you know, what type of questions do you need to ask when you first meet with someone? Now you got the meeting. Now what? Yeah. Then uh, what, what next? How do you get them from point A to point B to point C to a demo, to a validation, to a close? Like people think, you know, you, you see these mugs and it, it came from an old stupid movie like Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, that every salesperson needs to know. Coffee is for closers. Yeah. We're so focused on closing somebody. We forget that they'll close themselves if you open it right. <laughs> if yeah, you right. Open right. that relationship, nurture the relationship. They're going to close. Now, yeah. if you're a transactional sales, then it's different. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm yeah. talking about technology. I'm talking about payroll. I'm talking about where you're actually offering a service. Mm -hmm. You need, you need to nurture it. You need to really convey that your solution is going to help them fix a problem. Mm -hmm. And what I realized is most reps don't truly understand the problem. The problem. Yeah. They think yeah. they understand the problem, but by the time they propose, it's evident that the client, what the client perceives to be the problem, what the rep perceives to be the problem are two different things. So I'll give you an example. I just got referred to a company out of Utah to go and do like um, the guy needed a sales coach. He's like, look, we got a team. Our sales are going up, down, up, down. They're not consistent. Yeah. I need something. So I said, let me, you know, I, we had a great conversation over Zoom and I wanted to reiterate. All right. So what do you think your biggest challenge is? Well, we're not consistent. Why? Because they're mm -hmm. this. How come? But, you know, mm -hmm. I've really dug deep. Got all that stuff uh, in my notes. And he said, okay, so you'll give me a proposal, yeah? <laughs> I'm like, sure. And here's what I did. I did what's called a validation. I had the mm. proposal, but I had the pricing on a separate sheet. Yeah. And this is what I recommend everybody do before you ever present pricing to anybody is you do a validation meeting. And all that is, is you sit down with, the, with your client and you say, hey, based on our conversation, here's what I think you said that mm -hmm. is your biggest challenge. Is that correct? They say, yes. Based on our conversation, I think here's what I think is going to be the best solution for you. And here's why. See, he wanted like a two hour Zoom training. Yeah. And I don't think that's the right 
place. So I said, no, I'm going to fly out to Utah. We're going to spend dinner together. We're going to spend a full day together. I'm going to sit on appointments, listening on calls, Mm -hmm. see your culture, understand your people, meet with them Mm one-on-one. And then we're going to start the 90 day weekly program over zoom. Right. And he's like, oh, my God, that sounds really, really good. It's exactly what I want. And when he said that, I said, great, here's your investment. If he wouldn't have said that, if he said, no, that's not what I'm looking for. I'm not showing him price. doesn't make sense. That's not what he wants. So people don't validate. And oftentimes they email proposals. I never email a proposal. Mm. Never. So. All that stuff is in the book. And then the final final section is all about now you've sold them. How do you become a magnet for new business? And you want to do that through referrals. Like your first few years in sales, you should be out there hustling and cold calling. Yeah. But if you're still doing that in year four, five, six, you haven't built a relationship or a referral network. You're messing up somewhere. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Well, to me, it sounds a lot like your your sales process in a lot of ways is informed by your early days in the Marine Corps. I mean, there's there's consistency, there's discipline, there's validation. I mean, I, I can kind of see the, the the similarities all the way through, because I think that there's a there's a lot of people that think sales is just going in and being nice and, you know, like you said, you know, oh, he loved me. Um, but it's really about a process and being disciplined and understanding the problem that you're solving. And 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 it's a it's a problem resolution is what what you're doing. So um, I, I think that's pretty interesting. I don't know if you've ever seen that before in in yourself. I haven't. I never I never correlated the Marine Corps experience with my sales process. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, maybe just, it may be nothing, but I just something that I see just based on this conversation. But um, I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, so <clears throat> I guess the last question I have for you then is, you know, as you look at what you do with sales teams and salespeople, what I guess what's the one thing, if there is just one thing, that seems to be like the biggest growth challenge for those teams and and, and individuals that you see. I think it's they're they're self-focused mm. about how much money I can make, what product can I push, what can I sell, mm. and you can sit, you know, you can even see that in sales meetings, sure. right? Like the sales manager is not often asking their the team what problems are they solving. Yeah, how are you helping your clients? What are mm-hmm. you doing? How are you standing out from your competition? What do your clients need? What's the ind- Where's the industry going? Mm-hmm. What challenges are they having? What are the new regulations out there that are going to affect their business? They're not asking that. They're like, what are you pushing today? <laughs> what did you sell yeah. last week? What do you, what do you, how many appointments do you have? It's all self-focused uh, and it's weird because it makes sense, right? I mean, that's how we've always done it, but it makes sense to do that. You got to focus on how much you're going to sell, but if you just flip it a little bit and do mm-hmm. role plays, like, all right, I am my ideal client whatever, I'm the CFO in the financial sector. Mm-hmm. Okay, what challenges am I having? Let's role play these. Yeah, sure. Because if you can craft that for your team, yeah. imagine calling up a CFO and saying, hey, John, I understand you're a CFO at ABC Company. Listen, we specialize in helping chief financial officers. And, and what I've realized is that most of you are dealing with most, most of the chief financial officers that I help find that this has been a problem in the industry. And I lay out a specific problem in their industry. Sure. Is that yeah. the case for you or have you found a way to really handle that? Yeah. No, Eric, that's, that's definitely a case. Yeah. Listen, can we schedule a 15 minutes? I think I, I might have a way to help you. I just want to share with you what we've done for others mm-hmm. and how they got past it. Right now I'm focusing on that problem, but we don't that's yeah. not a sales training that we do. The sales training we do is here's our product. Here's how awesome it is. We have these awards. Yeah. Here's our testimonials. It's so it's so us focused and not client focused. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's 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 awesome. I I love that. So it's really it's really all about focusing on the problem and and helping to resolve that and looking outside of of ourselves. Yeah, I think. Yeah, that's... positioning yourself as an expert. Right now, I'm coaching a young man who started a recruiting company. Yeah. Uh, and so we're having these conversations, and I'm like, listen, mm -hmm. what's the number one problem most companies are having right now? Finding mm -hmm. good people. Right. That's it. That's your. That's that's the talk. Hey, listen, right. most companies are having a very hard time finding good people. Do you find yourself in that situation? Yeah. Piece of cake. Yeah. I want to talk to you about your problem. I don't want to talk to you about my product. <laughs> my my product. Yeah, care, exactly. Right? Yeah. Nobody yeah. cares about your product or service. They, they yeah. care about what your product or service can do for their problem. That's yeah. it. Right. Right. Eric, this has been an uh, amazing conversation, and I've loved to hear you know your growth journey. And 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 I love, especially we, for for those of you who are, are listening, you got to be able to feel his passion and be able to feel his his energy. And I think that when you when you're around somebody like that, you um, just are able to. Um, glean things from them and from their lives. And I know that I've, I've gleaned a lot from, from your life just by hearing your story and your growth journey. Um, if there's anything that you, you know, wanted to share that we didn't talk about, what would that be? Well, first I want to thank you, David. And I mean, you're one of the most incredible leaders that I have a chance to kind of watch and observe from the sideline, the stuff you guys do with turning point, how you take people and get them to go through that terror barrier and the fears that they have and get them to kind of push through those things. It takes a special guy. You're a father of a Marine, right? You don't That's brag right, about yeah. that too much. And um, so thank you for what you do because you're helping leaders who are going out into the world to create more leaders. And leadership is learned. It's not a natural yeah. thing. Right. And so, you know, I want to, I want to say kudos to you and thank you for all that you do. The one thing that <laughs> recently, man, I got to tell you, my kid came to me and you guys are going to get a kick out of this <laughs> kid comes to me. Let me preface this. And John, John Maxwell has this thing where he teaches, I think in the book today matters. It's one of my favorite lessons mm -hmm. yeah. and it made my life so much easier. And that, <laughs> that lesson is make a decision early and manage that decision daily. So we all do it. Well, most people do it, you know, when you get married, right, you get married, you kind of make a decision that you're, you're sticking with this one person. 50% mm -hmm. of us do that according to, <laughs> right, the, right. <laughs> to the divorce polls. Um, I do that with fitness, for example, like I enjoy working out. I made a decision that I'm going to wake up early. I'm going to hit the gym and be done with it before. And another decision I've made was that no matter where I am, if I see a kid selling anything, I want to sow into them that entrepreneurial spirit, whatever the hell they're selling, it. I'm buying. Yeah, I love it. So I have two little boys. About two weeks ago, my kid comes in, my nine-year-old Mikey. He <laughs> says, Daddy, I got a business idea. I'm like, shoot. Now, Mikey is a it. firecracker. He, that kid <laughs> is just a ball of energy. <laughs> He's like the Tasmanian devil. There's another, there's there another. Go. Uh, Back to Looney Tunes again. Yeah. yeah. He's just spinning it. around. Like that's all he does. <laughs> Nonstop energy. And uh, he's like, I got a, I got a business idea. And I either need you to give me the money for it or be my partner. Which one do you want to do? That's how he approaches me. Right. I got two oh, options. Either two options. you're going to give me the money for it, or you're going to be my business partner. <laughs> and so what's your idea before I commit to this? Yeah. Okay. We start a cotton candy selling business. I'm like, tell me about it. He's like, I just need you to buy me a cotton candy machine. And then we're going to sell it. And we're going to give some of that money to the homeless. Oh, my gosh. And amazing. so I'm like, done deal, partner. We got a business. So I, love it. I bought a cotton candy machine. <laughs> we're in business. That's great. I didn't realize how sticky, sticky. and messy making cotton candy is and when you're packaging oh it in plastic bags that it doesn't survive more than like a day yeah right. <laughs> and it deflates but we made like 643 bucks our first week oh my gosh that's amazing. Uh, and ended up with you know 150 of that is going to charity oh uh we still have a hundred bucks in profit that i'm making labels i'm buying more containers so now i'm like full grown you know i got <laughs> I got somebody that I cannot let down 
Yeah. You know, because he's like 15 minutes after making cotton candy, he's eating yeah. cotton candy. Right. And he's like on his phone trying to play video games. I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, that's this great... isn't my, you know, I, yeah. I, I got the short end of the stick here, but it's it. such a, it's, it's been such a rewarding experience to be able to do that with my kid. And what I realized, I realized mm -hmm. two things. One is when you unconditionally give your attention to somebody. Mm hmm they just start loving you because they don't get that anywhere else. Mm, yeah. Not doing what you want to do, doing what they want to do. Yeah. And the shift in my son, like he woke up last night. I work out with a men's group called F3. Today I was leading the workout last yeah. night. He's like, I want to go with you. Oh, wow. We, we have to leave the house at 4.45 in the morning. My nine-year-old's like, wake me up at 4.30. I'm going with you. I said, why do you want to go with me? He said, because I know you're leading it and I want to be there to support you. Gosh, that's he was amazing. The, he was the first one today. We had 12 people out there. He was the first one for every exercise, doing squats, running, bunny wow. hop, like killed it. I was so impressed with him. Amazing. Number two, if you're stuck and you don't know your next steps, yeah. find somebody who you can support or volunteer. Mm -hmm. Because what I learned is my I don't work as hard for my own business as I do for his business. Yeah. Right. It's so weird. I don't promote myself as hard as I promote him. Yeah. If you go to my Facebook page right now, you're just going to see a <laughs> wall candy, of cotton candy stuff. I love it. <laughs> you're not going to see uh, a wall of Eric stuff. That's great. And oh I'm on fire doing it because I'm yeah. seeing this little face and I just want to help him see some success and push him. Yeah. And it's such a lesson that no matter where you are in your life as a leader, as if you're a leader who's stuck, you're not connecting with people, put mm -hmm. your ego to the side yeah. and go compliment three of your people. Mm. Just That's unconditionally. Great. Hey, you know what, Jamie, I've been observing you. I've been listening to what you say. I think you're an amazing mother. Mm. Oh my God. You know how far that's going to go? Yeah. If you've been, if a client said they'll call you and they haven't called you, <laughs> put your ego aside and call them just to say, Hey, I know, you know, we were supposed to touch base. I just want to make sure you're okay. Is there anything I can do or even better send them a referral? Who yeah, can you refer sure. to your clients, right? Yeah. You start serving and I'm telling you, your life is going to yeah. change completely. Oh, man. Just two yeah. things, compliment and refer people to your clients for business. Love it. And you're going to grow. Ah, uh, gosh, that that right there is gold. That is gold. So for those of you who are listening, if you're in sales and let's face it, we're all in sales because we're, we're selling something, whether we're, we're selling to our own employer or we're selling, you know, something um, that's, you know, serve. Uh, I, I love that. I love that. It'll come back tenfold. Uh, right on, man. Right on. Eric, thanks so much for being here. Uh, this is this has been amazing. I just I I, abs I could actually go on for quite a while because I, I love listening <laughs> to your stories, man. <laughs> uh, you're an amazing host, David. Thank you so much. And thanks for nah, having me as a guest. Uh, it's my pleasure, Eric. Well, I absolutely love Eric and his story and his energy. His, his energy is so infectious. And, and he is an amazing leader. He's an amazing dad and husband. And gosh, you know, what a story, you know, coming to the U.S. at age 10 and not knowing how to speak the language. Come on, <laughs> that's that's getting thrown outside of your comfort zone. And, and that there, there's no safety net with that either. <laughs> and and honestly, I think that's one way to build resilience is, is to jump out of your your comfort zone and not have a safety net. Sometimes you might fall and, and you might have to get back up but um, it, it's definitely gonna teach you resilience. So there were a couple of takeaways that I just wanted to highlight. And, and the one that, um, that, that first rises to the top, and it, it's about what I was just talking about, being resilient and, and having to find a way to provide. He talked about how his parents, and, and he had to find a way to, to make money, earn a living, and, and really become resilient. And I think that, that is um, a benefit, if 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 it as it were, um, to being in a really tough spot, being a refugee, not knowing the language, having to really work hard at at at, at finding your way. 
Um, so anyway, I, I really do appreciate that part of his story. I loved his, his story about uh, going into uh, the recruiting office and uh, Johnny Bravo being there <laughs> and uh, his man crush with, uh, with the Marine Corps recruiter. Um, but, you know, he, he understood that that was going to be a growth, a growth experience. And I know from firsthand experience with my son, who also was a Marine, that that boot camp really uh, instilled discipline. It helped him to be calm under stress, and um, it, it really helped teach him a, a lot of things. And so you, when he got into sales, I think that's something that if you've been under that kind of pressure and that kind of, um, uh, that kind of stress, then um, going into sales, um, you know, you're not going to get much tougher stress uh, than, than being in the Marine Corps. So sales is nothing after that, right? <laughs> um, the other thing, speaking of sales, getting into sales, one, one of the things that I think was really important is that he got into sales because somebody else saw something in him that maybe he didn't. And I think so often there are people that are around us that see things in us that we can't see in ourselves. And when we have somebody like that and we can really tune into them, they can help guide us and they can give us the guidance that we need to be able to move in a direction that will be aligned with the things that are our strength zones. And so I, I thought that was a really valuable lesson as well. There was another point too that um, Eric made that I think is really important, especially in this environment. And it, it was really around the idea of becoming valuable enough and, and so valuable that your team, your company, um, your, your, your leaders don't want you to ever leave. Um, make sure that um, you are doing everything you can, even beyond your um, your requirements to help other people get what they want. And when you do that, you help enough people get what they want. You're going to get what you want and you'll be able to achieve everything that you want to achieve as well. The other thing I think that Eric mentioned, and, and I, I think this is really true and, and it, it, it really resonates with me and the leaders that I work with. And that is that the leaders who invest in their team know the value of, of that, of, of investing in their people. They see people's value, they build their value, and they believe in them. And, and sometimes we have to believe in our people before they believe in themselves. So I think that's such a great takeaway as a leader to not only just invest in your team, invest, yes, money, invest time, but see their value and believe in them first so that they can then believe in themselves. It, you know, Eric also has a really strong morning routine. I know for a fact that he gets up at like four o'clock or maybe even 3.30 in the morning and he's got a really solid morning routine. And I think that's another component of a strong leader is to have a morning routine. Now, I'm not saying that you have to get up at 3.30 or 4 o'clock in the morning, um, but I will say that getting up in the morning does give you quiet time to be able to do the things for yourself so that you can be well and that you can lead well. And, and, and honestly, I think that having a morning routine really sets your day up for success. And, and the other thing I'll say too is that even though I know we talked a little bit about sales and, and, and Eric's um, focus on sales, you know, whether you're in sales, a sales role or not, you're always in sales. I mean, you're always selling an idea, selling your position. Um, and, and so I really thought that and, and, and believe that Eric has a great process to, to selling and selling your ideas and um, that, that, that consistency and, and having some validation, being really disciplined, and really at the end of the day, solving a problem because that's really what sales is. And, and so I think too many people have this icky feeling about sales and it really isn't icky. I think that um, it's such a, a, a great service when we can solve a problem. Well, I hope that you enjoyed this uh, this episode as much as I did. I really loved uh, talking with with Eric. 
Um, and, and, and let me just say that I want to encourage you to, uh, to, to go on this leadership and growth journey, not by yourself, but with a community. Um, because a community, as, as I know, and, and I'm sure as you know, um, if you've been around this podcast for any length of time, going on that journey with others is so much uh, more impactful and it helps to give you some motivation when your motivation wanes. You know, one of the best ways for you to do that really is to, to join us at the Inner Circle Summit. We're going to have a, a room full of leaders. Um, you can network with them. You can ask some questions. You can connect with them. Um, they'll be all, all of them are on a journey and, and we're all on a journey. Um, now we are limiting the number of participants. So hopefully we do have some seats available when this episode uh, airs. Um, we, we record these episodes far enough in advance. So make sure that you go to our registration page, uh, davidmcglennon.com forward slash inner circle summit 2022 and make sure you get registered today before we do sell out. Well, thank you so much for joining us uh, here on In the Growth Space. Uh, really appreciate you uh, tuning in. Uh, love it if you would go out and rate us, uh, review, make sure you subscribe. And until next time, be intentional with your growth journey and be well.